Welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast, helping you propel your writing business to a whole new level. And now, here's your host, Ed Gandia. Hey there, welcome to the High Income Business Writing Podcast. I am your host, Ed Gandia, and this is the podcast for business writers and copywriters who want to earn more in less time doing work they love for better clients. You can find detailed show notes for this episode at b2blauncher.com forward slash episode 150. Those notes include a summary of our discussion as well as links to resources that we've mentioned during a show and other additional information. So in this week's episode, we're discussing an issue we've yet to address in this podcast, and it's the issue of what do you do when you have too much work as opposed to too little work? And it sounds like a great problem to have, right? But if you've been freelancing for some time, you've probably experienced this challenge at some point, and you know how difficult the situation can be. It's fun until it isn't. My guest today is Don Sadler, and Don is a, just an awesome dude, and he's going to show you how to manage yourself and your business when you're book solid and how to retain your sanity and your health. And if you're nowhere near experiencing that problem in your business, I still encourage you to listen because you'll learn how you can get to this level from someone who has and continues to stay at this level consistently, and then what to do once that happens. Don's a great guy. He's a fellow writer here in my hometown of Atlanta. He's super smart, very good at what he does, and incredibly generous to share what he's learned with others. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Don, welcome back to the show, man. Great to have you back. Thanks, Ed. Good to be here. You know, it's uh, I want to plug real quick uh, our first interview together, and I'm I'm linking to it in the show notes because you'll um for those of you listening haven't uh, heard of Don before you'll get to learn a little bit more about his background and and how he became a, a freelancer it's a fascinating story uh but for folks who are not familiar with that or maybe for God why don't you give us a, a bit of background tell us about uh, your business today what kind of work you do what kind of clients you work with uh that that sort of thing Sure, sure. Um, I've been a full-time freelance writer for a little over nine years now. Uh, decided to hang out the shingle in early 2009 um, when I got laid off from my last job working for a publishing company. I spent the first 24 years of my career working for uh, several different custom publishing companies. Anybody who's been around for a while will recognize that term. Um, newer people probably like, what is custom publishing? But um, anyway, started in 1985. Uh, first job out of college was with a custom publisher down in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I uh, worked there for 12 years, which um, is, is almost unheard of nowadays for most people in a first job out of college, but um, really learned the craft of, of marketing writing, marketing communications, um, specializing in the financial services industry, which has turned out to be a great niche for me. Uh, moved to Atlanta in 1997 to work for another company, actually a competitor doing pretty much the same thing. And then in 2005, that company was acquired by a much, much bigger company. Again, another custom publisher still doing pretty much the same thing. So spent the first 24 years of my career really learning and honing the craft of, of marketing writing um, in the financial services industry, which, like I said, has, has proven to be a, a very profitable niche for me, and we'll, we'll talk more about that later. Um, however, uh, by early 2009, the financial crisis was in, 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 in full, well, <laughs> we were in full-fledged crisis mode, of course, and um, I could see my job 
basically dwindling before my eyes. And sure enough, by early 09, they had to let me go because uh, the, the book of business I was working on just barely existed anymore. But um, since I saw that coming for at least six months, if not a year before it actually happened, I had some time to think about what, what I would do if and when the layoff happened. And so um, as soon as I got laid off, I, I decided I would see if I could make a go of it as a freelancer before I went and looked for a new job. And uh, with the experience that I had and the niche that I had and the contacts that I had from many years in the industry, I was able to get the freelance business up and running pretty quickly. And I just celebrated nine years of self-employment. And, um, and that, that brings me to where we are today. Yeah, and, and you were able to do a lot of this on the side, right before uh, before you left. Uh, bef- uh, so, so you had a kind of a head start in some ways. As yes, to- yes, definitely. Um, that was and we we could talk we could talk about how to get a freelance business started in, in a whole other conversation. Oh but, yeah, well, and, and you know mm-hmm. what I what I'm going to do is I'm going to send people to our first interview because yes. you definitely expand on a lot of that and why it's such a great idea to do this on the side while you have a day job. And it's, you know, it's kind of a hard thing for many people to do because let's face it, you work, you know, let's say 50 hours a week, maybe even longer. Last thing you want to do is run a business on the side where you have to work evenings, some weekend time, but it's in many cases, it's the best insurance policy you can buy. In your case, it, it really paid off when you had that bit of a surprise. One uh, of the first things that I did when we moved to Atlanta was was started looking for freelance work and I was able to land a couple of steady gigs pretty soon and and that really laid the foundation for going full-time freelance uh gosh uh 12 12 years or so later. All right, so l- let's shift gears a little bit and talk about our, our main topic of conversation today which is what do you do when you have too much work? So this is something that I get asked about every once in a while. I do work with established writers and copywriters. And this, you know, if you're not there yet, believe me, you're going to have a different set of problems at one point in your in your freelance business, even though it may not seem like you'll ever get to that point. But it is it is a challenge. You know, what do you do? Um, and it, it really creates a, a whole different set of um uh, not just challenges, but stresses that you have to learn how to manage well. Um, so I, I want to, one of the, th- the reasons I'm, I'm coming to you with, with this topic is, you know, every time you and I have talked, you're busy. Uh, you got all kinds of, of work lined up and I'm, I'm sure you got, you know, your, your dips. And I know a couple of times we've talked, you've had like a little bit of a dip, but you, when you, what you consider a dip is like, you know, it's, some people would love to have that problem. It's it's very very temporary. So I'd I'd like to maybe open up the discussion with maybe maybe kind of set set the stage for us a little bit. You know, kind of give us a, an idea of uh, what what do you consider to be book solid? You know, sure, great when question. we talk about that, you know, what do we mean? Great question. Um, book solid for me is. Is, is when I'm working a full work day. And for me, a full work day is pretty much 8.30 to 5-ish. And if I'm working a full work day with, with paying work for the most part throughout the entire day, then I would consider that to be book solid. And I'm there pretty much all the time. There, there, very rarely does a day go by that I'm not doing some kind of work that I'm, that I'm billing and getting paid for. 
Gotcha. So yeah, and that's pretty intense because some people even tell you, oh, you know, book salad, maybe 50 or 60% of your day because you need the other time to do some other things such as, you know, administrative marketing and so forth. But in your case, you're at a point where you can spend a bigger percentage of your day doing this. And I mean, that really is um, kind of pushing it to the, to the limit. And I do keep track of that. I, I, I keep kind of my own personal timesheet where I keep track of the time that I spend on every every paying job that I have, how much I'm earning on that job, and then the time that I spend on other non-billable miscellaneous tasks. So I, I, I'm kind of anal along those lines in terms of doing that. And um, and that really helps me keep track of, of, uh, of as you said, my level of busyness and, and, and how book solid I am in terms of having paying work and, and, and how much money I'm making and how much time it's taking me to earn those earn that money. These are all these are all uh, key variables if you ask me when it comes to running a successful freelance business. Now just um, your best guess and I know you track it, but um, you know what what's tip what's a, a good ratio for you? Is it 80 20, 90 10 in terms of billable versus non billable? 80 20. Yes, I've never thought about that, but I think I would say if you're spending, if I, if I'm spending eighty percent of my time on billable work, twenty percent on non-billable work, that's about what I want to shoot for. Yeah, I think that's a good ratio, and mm-hmm. outside of the scope of our discussion. But by the way, I mean that that could that could be ten episodes right there. Is <laughs> how do you get there? I mean, I think that's a healthy place to be. By the way, mm-hmm. so I was thinking, Don, for just to kind of give our discussion some structure. Uh, I was thinking through some questions I could ask you in the maybe breaking down the process into steps. Um, and, and maybe the a good starting place would be okay, so if you're in the situation where you're start, starting to consistently book solid, uh, let's start with maybe one of the first areas you can address, which is qualifying new prospects. So you're, you're pretty much book solid and you're having leads come in, people who want to see if you can help them out. Um, so what kind of criteria, steps, processes, or, or standards uh, do you feel you have to put in place in order to do a better job of staying book solid and not just taking everything that, that comes your way? Good question. Um, I want to take one step back before I answer that question, which will help lay the foundation for answering the question. Um, and, and that is, what, what, how am I able to stay book solid in the way that we just described. There's three main three main keys that I've identified here. The first is, is the experience. And I talked about it. At this point, I've got over 30 years of experience doing what I do in a very specific niche. Uh, financial services, I've branched into a couple of other niche areas, but for the most part, 70, 80% of what I do is financial services. So so that's that's huge in terms of just people knowing about me, people making referrals to me, people that I've met over the years coming back, needing work, sending other people my way, that kind of thing. So so the experience is, is huge. And I realize that you don't just get 30 years of experience rolling out of bed. But for me, that's that's been huge. Um, the other another factor is the, um, the the niche industry experience that I have. And we could do a whole show on on being a niche freelancer versus being a generalist. Um, I feel very strongly about the, the power of being a niche freelancer because it's worked so well for me. And the 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 more specialized your niche and the more in demand your niche when it comes to needing writing services, obviously the better. 
and the more the more technical your niche, the better too. Again, I write about some pretty uh, sophisticated uh, financial topics. Um, I'm also doing some work in the IT area, which is obviously very uh, technical and sophisticated as well. So um, the more technical, the more sophisticated, the more difficult to write, obviously the higher rates you're going to be able to charge. Um, and so, and, and, and the other thing that's worked for me in terms of get, gener generating a pretty steady uh, stream of leads is um, the SEO work that I did on my website about uh, six or seven years ago. Um, I realized that I could do some uh, some do-it-yourself SEO work on my website in terms of on-page optimization with keywords. And as soon as I did that, it was like turning on the faucet, and the leads just started coming in pretty pretty steady, and 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 they really haven't stopped since. And so those are the three things that um, I would say are the main factors in me being able to stay. Uh, pretty much uh, fully booked with paying work pretty much most of the time. So all of that to lay the foundation for answering your question, which was how to qualify these prospects that come in. And that was a that was a big issue when I first did the SEO work and started getting a really steady stream of leads that just, I mean, I didn't even have to do anything <laughs> to do that. It was amazing. All of a sudden, um, I'm getting a pretty steady flow of calls and emails from people needing a, a freelance financial writer, which is what I am. Which, by the way, is the um, is, is the key one of the keyword phrases I optimized on my website, and so I, I call it. I, I learned pretty quickly how to spot the tire kickers, and um, at, at first, almost every lead that would come in, I would get really excited, and then you know, through through time and experience, I got better at figuring out which ones were just tire kickers and which ones were actually really good prospects that were really looking for someone with my experience and my writing caliber and prepared to you know to pay the rates that I wanted to to charge for the work that I do so it comes down to you know qualifying the prospects as I said um, experience and, and again I know that you don't just get experience rolling out of bed but experience goes a long ways and, and asking good questions in terms of, of weeding out the prospects who really aren't good prospects and the ones who, who really are looking for the kind of services that you can deliver and, and prepared to pay the kind of rates that you want to charge. Are there any red flags that you have uh, over the years, and I'm sure there's several, but any that, that stand out that you look for? Um, Nothing. To be honest, nothing I can put my finger on. It's just a matter of nowadays. If I get one of those tire kicker emails, they're just they're just so obvious nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't really point to a specific red flag, but but they get pretty obvious after a while. And and you you get to the point where you really don't even need to spend any time on it, other than just sending a nice, you know, hey, thanks for the email reply, but you know, I don't think we're a good fit or something like that. You don't. It really doesn't take that much time anymore. Um, with some exceptions. Now, there are some exceptions to that. For the most part, it doesn't take too much time to weed out the tire kickers. Now, there are prospects that come in that that you might think are good prospects and you spend some time you know, talking to them, asking questions, and then you realize that they aren't really that good prospects. But even then, I'm, I'm not spending a tremendous amount of time, you know, not wasting a lot of time on prospects that end up not really being good prospects after all. So in terms of, yeah, in, in, in with, with prospects who at some point, whether it's early on or, or later, you realize they're not going to be a fit, that's kind of an easy no. Uh, I think where it starts getting a little bit more difficult is for clients who um, either you do a decent amount of work for or you've had a l longstanding relationship with, even if they're not your biggest client, 
Um, I'm curious how you say no gracefully, um, or do you say no? You know, how do you how do you handle that? Um, to be honest, it's it's really not that big of an issue. It hasn't been that big of an issue for me. Yes, of course, there have been times when I've said no, as as, as we just talked about. Um, a, a graceful email or a graceful phone conversation when you simply point out that, that it doesn't appear to be a good fit for whatever reason is usually sufficient. Um, it's usually pretty self-obvious, pardon me, it's usually pretty self-evident also. Um, as you talk it through, um, it usually becomes as apparent to the client as it does to me that it's just not a good fit for whatever particular reason. And what if it, if the no is due to uh, timing? So it's just uh, it, you know they're a good fit. You've worked for them before, but right now and over the next two months, you are I mean really book solid, and they want something that's going to take you you know twenty thirty hours, for instance. Yeah, I had that situation come up. Uh, it was last summer, like late last summer, and and I just was going through one of those you know hair on fire busy phases when I just didn't know how I was going to get the work done every week, every day even. And a client, a prospect came through with a, a, a big project. It would have been really big. And there was no way that I could take it at the time. And I, and I just told him, I said, I said, I'd love to work with you. This looks like it would be a great fit. Um, it, it's a big project and, and I can't even get started on it um, until about a month from now. If, if that works for you, Great. Let's touch base again in about a month. If it doesn't work for you, I'm I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to say no to this one. And um, and he completely understood, and it ended up not coming through after all. But uh, that was a good example of what you just talked about um, a potentially very big, very lucrative project that I simply had to say no to if they had to get started right away because because I would have had to. There just literally weren't enough hours in the day to do it, and I was not going to you know renege on work that I currently had in the books in order to do it. And this was uh, somebody you hadn't worked with before, or was this an existing client? It was not an existing client. It was okay. a, it was just a, a prospect that came in came in out of the blue. If I were faced with that situation with an existing client, um, well, that makes it a little bit easier because it is an existing client, and they're probably going to be a little bit more understanding in terms of uh, you know what your current work situation is, what your current deadline capabilities are. Um, Obviously, if it's a current client, they're going to know what my you know skills and abilities are, and so they're probably going to be a little bit more willing to be flexible if it's really critical that they work with me on that project. So I think that's the the situation many established writers find themselves in is uh, with with new prospects. It's a little bit easier sometimes if it's a, a, a kind of a dream client situation. Yeah, that those are hard to say no to, but it's really when. This is someone you've worked with a lot before, and you enjoy working with them. But you're in a situation right now where you just can't for another mm -hmm. month. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's really handling that delicate situation. Um, and we can talk more about you know maybe negotiating timeframes and all that. But I was curious, just a uh, at a high level, you know, if, if you differentiate between the two, and then kind of generally how you handle them uh, when it's when it's a client. So let's talk about productivity uh, a little bit too. Uh, so are the things you do because sometimes the, the part of the answer lies in our ability to kind of expand our, our capacity. Uh, you're a very disciplined guy. Uh, you 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 know you talk about how you you know what your capacity is. You measure this. You track it weekly. What things have you been able to do over the years that have made more time? 
for for billable work? Well, the first thing that I do is is I keep regular office hours, and I think this is just part of having worked for in in the business world for twenty four years. Um, all three companies that I worked for over that time basically had an eight thirty to five workday. Now, of course, there were times when you know you had to stay past five or come in earlier than eight thirty, but the official work hours were eight thirty to five. And so, when I started freelancing, my very first day of freelance, I was at my computer working at eight thirty, and it's just it's just been ingrained in me ever since. It's and happened. so I so I try to work an eight thirty to five ish you know workday five days a week. Now, of course, I take vacation and days off, and and there's there's days when that's flexible, but. For the most part, unless there's something going on, I'm working from 8.30ish to between 5 and 6 every day. And and I've talked to lots of freelancers over the years, and, and, and they a lot of them don't um, maintain a regular workday schedule like that. And, and again, to each his own, different people have different work styles. Um, but I don't like working. You know, I'm not going to sit down at 9 or 10 o'clock at night and work till 12 or 1. I'm just not going to do that. Um, and I'm not going to get up at five or six and start working. <laughs> it's just not my, it's not how I work. Uh, but I, I would say, so for me, one of, if not the biggest keys to productivity is just maintaining that, that regular work day. No, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I hope people understand, listen, this is not about doing exactly what Don's doing. This is about, okay, fine. You know, if you got the kids some days, if, you know, you got to work during school hours, you got certain, you know, appointments on a regular basis. Um, this is really more about the discipline, not about the number of hours or the hours that Don works. I think it's really the biggest lesson. Yes, exactly. It's about the work discipline. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, and I, I, what I find is these constraints create uh, an opportunity for improvement because it's no longer kind of an open-ended week. When you have constraints, you're forced to be a good steward of the time and resources you have. Exactly. And, and I love what you just said about good stewardship. And that's actually the reason why I started time tracking the way that I did when I very first went self-employed. Because the first few months, again, I was disciplined. I was working every day. But I found myself at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the month, not having kept track of, of, of the time that I spent and what I was earning during that time. It just kind of felt I just kind of felt lost. And, and it occurred to me that as a freelancer, my inventory consists of my time. And if I'm not tracking any business that doesn't track his inventory isn't going to be in business for very long. So as a freelancer, your inventory is your time. And so that's when I started tracking my time and, and have every day since. And I, I can't imagine a, a work day or a work week where I'm not tracking my time. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't work for me. Well, before we move on to maybe some other elements of, of tackling this, this challenge, it, I do want to touch on a couple of things that I guess are kind of related to productivity. One is scheduling. The other one is maintaining focus throughout the day. So in terms of scheduling your work, you talked about set hours. Um, have you found, is, is there something that works really well for you in terms of what times of day to do certain things or how to split up your day? Um, any any tips there that, that have been working for you? Well, I mean, I definitely have, um, there's definitely a rhythm to my workday and my uh, biorhythms, if that's the right term. Um, I, I'm a little slow getting going in the morning. Like I said, I, I make sure I'm at the, you know, and I, I have a home office. I work from home. I have a, a spare room that is my is my home office. So it's not just like a corner of the kitchen or something like that, but it's a, it's a very dedicated home office. 
and I'm in there between 8.30 and 9 every morning getting started. Um, I usually start my day a little slow with a little bit of web surfing. I'm a big sports fan, so I'll go and, you know, check out my favorite uh, sports websites, you know, see what's happening with my favorite teams and kind of ease into the day like that. But by, you know, by 9, 9.15 or so, I want to be at, you know, working on work. And um, and I do that pretty much throughout the day. Um, again, I'll take a few breaks here and there. Um, in fact, uh, one of your questions I know, Ad, was about, you know, uh, staying focused. And in, in the age of, of the Internet and social media and all that stuff, that that is got to be one of, if not the biggest challenges for any freelancer when it comes to staying focused and staying productive. And that's just staying off of the stupid social media sites and not wasting time, you know, running down Internet uh, rabbit holes. And, and, and I'll admit that can be a challenge for me. And so um, what, what I try to do is is is. You know, I'll stay focused on something as long as I need to stay focused. And then if I need, you know, literally a, a one, two, three minute little mental break, I'll, I'll, I'll treat myself by jumping off and going and, you know, reading an article on something or checking a social media feed or something like that. And um, for me, that for me, that works well, because I'm different. People have different personalities and work styles when it comes to, you know, staying focused and, and, and staying diligent. But if I allow myself the occasional little, you know, cheat break <laughs> to go surf the Web or, you know, check Facebook or whatever, so long as I get back into it again pretty quickly within a few minutes, which is which is my discipline, then um, then I'm usually OK. Yeah. And I find some people have to set a timer because they, they can get lost, right? So without some kind of trigger, uh, it's a, whoa, wait a minute, 35 minutes have gone by? How is that possible? <laughs> yeah, I definitely don't let that happen. It's, it's more than, you know, more than a few minutes and, and, I'm, and I'm over my limit. Um, but w w with my work rhythms, my biorhythms, by, you know, by 9, 30, 10, I need to be hitting it hard. And I, and I, I really get usually going between, you know, 9, 30, 10 till around lunchtime. And, and that's a real productive time for me. You know, I always take a lunch break. Um, I have no need to eat at my desk. <laughs> I mean, all I have to do is, you know, walk around the corner of my office and there's the kitchen. So, you know, I take a 30 minute hour long lunch break every day. And, uh, and then I'm back at it, hitting it hard. And, and I grind pretty hard through the whole afternoon. By five o'clock or so, I'm usually pretty much done. Um, I, I I try to hit the gym two or three days a week, so I try to knock off at at five o'clock uh, on my gym days and make sure that I make sure I do that. And um, even on non-gym days, um, I work till between five and six. But uh, you know what? After six o'clock, I'm definitely fried. I'm not I'm not doing any work after six o'clock. And so for me, the key to being product productive is really hitting it hard during those productive hours and um, and not wasting too much time. And that's usually not too hard to do because I've always got enough work to, to keep me going that I really can't afford to waste too much time. You know, it's almost, I just had a thought, uh, being able to handle a lot of work and, and just kind of juggle all of that well, it's almost like uh, being an athlete, <laughs> a great <laughs> athlete, right? It's, so we talked about um, setting boundaries, productivity, scheduling, maintaining focus. You know, there's there's a discipline here and uh, that I think is key. Uh, I'm curious, though, if we're kind of going to go down that road before, again, we shift gears to another area is you mentioned you, you have gym days. Any other things that have worked for you to stay healthy, not just physically, but also kind of mentally and emotionally? Because those are, as a creative professional, those are important too, right? It's um, 
sometimes what's going on in your head can impact your productivity and the quality of your work? Sure. Great question. Um, well, again, physical exercise is important to me. I, I try to exercise regularly. Um, having having hobbies and interests is, is definitely important for me. Um, I'm, 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 I, I'm real active in sports. Um, I play a lot of tennis. I play a lot of golf. I, I, I wakeboard in the summertime when, when the water warms up. And uh, so, so those things, you know, physical activity and, um, and hobbies and interests and, and things like that outside of work, um, are really important when it comes to uh, not letting yourself get overwhelmed with work, um, but it, but to try to keep that you know work-life balance. Work-life balance is a a, a a phrase that's thrown a lot thrown around a lot nowadays, but um, but it really is important. And just just keeping that balance, um, I found to be real important for me. And then the spiritual side of things as well. Um, I, I try to keep my spiritual life healthy as well. Um, I'm a Christian. Uh, my wife and I uh, go to church regularly. We we fellowship with um, a lot of our Christian friends regularly. Uh, home Bible studies, these kind of things. So between um, uh, faith, physical fitness, uh, family, and of course work, uh, trying to keep the right balance between all of these things um, is really important to helping me keep my my uh, emotional stability and sanity. I want to go back to just shifting gears a little bit to something we talked about a little bit earlier and see if you had anything else uh, to add to that. Uh, situations where uh, it's not as clear cut. It's not an easy decision. You were book solid, but a good client comes to you with some additional work. Um, you know, how do you handle that? And one of the things you mentioned was, you know, trying to negotiate the timeframes, trying to see, you know, can, can they wait, giving them a specific time frame in which you can start the project. Um, any other tips or ideas there? Because I know that's a, that can be a delicate balance. It's not always a, an easy decision or easy to navigate. Well, I think I'm fortunate in, in the kind of work that I do that um, I usually have some flexibility with my deadlines. Um, most of what I write nowadays is, is blogs and ghost articles. Um, and, and those I can usually write pretty fast, and I usually have some flexibility in terms of juggling those deadlines around. I have several clients who I write blogs and articles for every week, and so it's, it's, there's literally weekly deadlines that I have for at least three clients right now. Uh, but I can juggle those around during the week so long as I get it done by, by Friday of each week. So if projects come in that, that have a little bit more of an urgent deadline, I can, I can bump things back a little bit, move things around a little bit. Um, I also write several uh, newsletters that publish on a quarterly basis. Uh, again, there's also uh, flexibility with, um, with, with those deadlines. So for me personally, there, there's just usually just enough flexibility in terms of my deadlines and the actual workload itself that I can accommodate last minute things that come in um, most of the time. Now, a, a huge project that's coming in when I have just a, a month that I'm completely slammed, that might be the exception. But for the most part, it's been very rare that I've actually had to to turn down things or say no to things because um, because I just couldn't just couldn't work it into the schedule. And clients, um, you know, sometimes prospects will come to me with a particular project and they'll say, well, how long does it take you to do X? How long does it write, take you to write, you know, such and such kind of article or such and such kind of white paper? And, and I'll say, well, it depends on when it comes in, in terms of what my existing work schedule is. And, um, and, and 
and how I can work it into my workflow. And if a client were to come to me right now and say they need a weekly blog or article, honestly, I'd probably have to say no to that right now because, you know, weekly commitments are obviously <laughs> on a weekly basis. And, and so that's a pretty big commitment. So I definitely have to watch uh, the number of clients that I take on that need uh, regular weekly assignments. Makes sense. I'm I'm curious about fees. So many writers use uh, being book solid as an opportunity to consider raising some or all of their fees. Uh, have you have you found that to be effective? Have you tried this approach uh, from time to time? W what what do you recommend? I've got several clients, in fact, more than several clients that I've worked with for, for many, many years. Um, I, I've got several that I've worked with since my very first day of uh, freelancing nine years ago. So, wow. so I've, I've got some long-term clients. And, um, you know, that's a great question. And it's a, it's a very uh, tricky area when it comes to raising rates on your current clients. And, and by the way, it could be current or, or, or new prospects. Okay. All right. Um, and that's two different that's two different issues, and let's talk about them separately. I'm glad you made that distinction. Um, I've, I've pretty much come to the point of, um, unless it's an extreme situation, I'm not going to raise rates on current clients, especially if we're talking, you know, 5%, even 10%. It's just, for the, for the most part, it's just not enough to worry about upsetting the apple cart. Um, and I'm fortunate in that, I don't have any clients that I'm working for that I feel like I even need to raise rates on. Now, of course, we all know about inflation and over time, the price of everything goes up. And I get that. But it's a little bit different when it comes to professional services and, you know, groceries. <laughs> um, I expect my grocery bill to go up over time. I expect my home price to go up over time or the, or the price of a car. But so long as I still know that I'm getting fairly compensated for the work that I'm doing, um, if that ever changes now, of course, that would be a different story. But as long as I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm making good money for the time that I'm spending on these clients, um, I just assume not upset the apple cart and, and bring up the whole raising rates uh, conversation. I've done it several times over the years. Um, it hasn't, it, it's worked out okay both times. One particular client, it was, we kind of compromised on things. Um, so it hasn't, you know, it hasn't been a bad thing for me, but I'm just kind of, I've, I was just thinking about this not too long ago, and I, I pretty much come to the conclusion that for existing clients, unless it's a, a weird situation, I don't see the need to raise rates. Well, now, and, and here's one go thing, ahead. Don, and, and let me just clarify because I want to emphasize to people listening that in, in many of these cases, it's recurring work. Right. Exactly. So the, one of the reasons why it's it's still very lucrative for you is because over the years, five, six, seven, eight, nine years, you it now takes you a fraction of the time that it used to take you on any particular project, and the fee has remained the same. Therefore, your internal hourly rate has gone up and stayed at a, at a high level in many cases. So that makes that decision a little bit easier. So I just wanted to add that context as well. Great point. Now, as far as new clients coming in. Now, I don't have a fee structure or rate schedule per se for the different kinds of writing that I do. In fact, I was just uh, talking with, with a friend over the weekend at church who uh, just started a new job and is might be looking for some freelance writing services. And he said, um, you know, so generally speaking, how much do you charge for freelance writing? And I just I kind of chuckled and I said, there's a whole lot of it depends there. <laughs> 
but yes. um, but I will definitely, given the um, how busy I am at any particular time, uh, the rates that I charge to a new prospect are going to be made with that in mind. If I'm if I'm I'm really busy and it's really a stretch to take on a particular new client, I'm gonna I'm gonna probably quote a little bit higher rate for that just to make it worth my while. And um, you know, if they say no, they say no, and that's okay. Um, if they say yes, and it's really a stretch for me, and it, it results in you know just being busier than I want to be for a little while, well, hey, at least I'm getting compensated for it. Yeah, and, and and that makes it a little bit easier to you know burn the midnight oil when you have to sometimes. Absolutely, I agree with you. The biggest opportunity for raising rates is really with new clients, mm-hmm. with new prospects, uh, and I'm with you 100 percent on. It's it's such a huge effort uh, and so high risk to raise them for existing clients. I'm not saying you you can't or you shouldn't. I think you there are many times when it makes sense. But your biggest improvements are not going to come from raising them with existing clients. It's going to come from from new clients. I just I just thought of a couple of um, uh, specific examples that I think would help illustrate this. Um, two of my clients who I write weekly blogs and articles for and have for many many years. Um, I charge them uh, $250 for one and $225 for the other one for a weekly block. Um, but uh, again, I've been doing them for a long time. They're, they're pretty easy for me to do. Um, that's below my going rate right now. But I'm not going to go back and bump that rate up on them. It's just it's just not worth it. But new clients that come in for, for weekly blogs and articles, um, basically $300 to 350 and up. And so... Um, so yeah, that's that's that kind of gives you an idea of the um, you know the, the the raising the price to reflect your level of um, of busyness and what the market will bear as well. Absolutely. Uh, I'm curious about what you do when you turn down work. Um, so we kind of shifted gears earlier. We didn't really go down that path, but if it's a new new prospect, and let's just assume that you know it's it's a great be a great prospect. You just can't uh, take it on and based on their timeline or for whatever reason, do you refer it to other writers you know who you think would be a good fit? And if so, what criteria do you typically use to make that decision? I do sometimes and and I used to actually do it more than I more than I have recently. Um, again, as, as I've talked about, uh, the, the niches that I work with within are, are, are so specialized and so technical. Um, it, it, the truth is I really don't know that many writers who, who do the same kind of writing that I do and the same niches that I write in that, that have the same skill sets that I have. So, so my, my, my pool of candidates to hand work off to is, is relatively small right now. Um, I have a good friend. We go back all the way to my very first job uh, out of college over 30 years, and, and he does pretty much the same, th- same kind of writing that I do. And, and he was also a self-employed freelancer for many years. Um, and he and I would kind of hand work and work back and off. Pardon me. He and I would hand work back and forth to each other um, when we needed to. But um, he took a full-time job last year, so he's no longer available for that. So I don't do it too much anymore because I really don't have, um, have a, a network of other freelancers who do what I do that I can really hand it off to. So um, – Fortunately, lately, I haven't had to say no to a lot of work, but um, if, if, if I were to have to right now and, um, and someone were to need, you know, basically what I do, eh, 
Yeah. Don't, don't really have a lot of options right now. Well, you know, you've gotten to a point in your business and so many people after a while get to get to this point where the, the, the work you do, the type of writing and the topics are so nuanced that, you know, just to say, oh, uh, well, you know, any financial writer or content creator. No, not really, because that's right. the big umbrella. But, you know, you kind of play in these little small pockets. Exactly. And you kind of have to know the stuff to be able to be effective with with these clients. So I'm assuming based on your response there that this idea, because sometimes writers who get to this point decide to scale their businesses a little bit by bringing in. Um, some junior writers to do some of the research or some of the grunt work or some of the writing. Is that something you've ever considered before or it's really not something you are interested in doing? It, it's something that I've thought about over the years. Um, when I was first starting the freelance business, I quickly realized that uh, scaling the business, as you put it, uh, would be the, you know, the only way to really grow it beyond just me. But um, at this point, uh, it's it's not not really a priority for me. I I, I really don't want to run a run an empire. <laughs> yeah, well, you've done really really well uh, keeping things simple. Yes, and I I find and I told you this before, Don is, you know, when when the the topic of scaling comes up for freelancers, they automatically think that the only way to scale is to is to bring in other writers. Um, and then, of course, have them do some of the work and then mark them up. And and that is one flavor of this. But I think before you do that, there's so many opportunities to increase your profitability per day. Um, and that's something I think you've done really, really well. And, you know, it, you just haven't seen the need and it's not really a desire of yours. And I think that's fine. Yes. So um, but I guess before we sign off, uh, this has been fantastic, by the way. Um Really appreciate you coming on and, and and sharing these these ideas and insights with us. But is there anything we haven't talked about? Any, I guess, parting thoughts or ideas or suggestions that uh, you feel are important to consider when you're in the situation when you got too much work and you're trying to figure out how to solve that? Well, I guess the last thing I would say is, um, I mean, you know, any successful freelancer is going to hit a point where you're just overwhelmed. Um, was, was talking with my daughter who's in college about this not too long ago. And, um, you know, she's a, she's a sophomore in college and, and she gets, she's taking a full class load and, and, and working part time and she's involved in extracurriculars. And there's times when she just kind of, you know, <laughs> screams uncle and, and, and dad, how can, how am I going to get all this work done? And, and I, you know, I try to talk her through it. And of course she always gets through it and, and she's doing great. But I, I, I told her that there's times when, when I will, you know, sit down on Monday morning and I'll, I'll look at my, you know, my project to do list for the week. I'll look at all the deadlines that I have coming and, and I will literally want to yell uncle to somebody. <laughs> and like, I don't know how I'm going to get all this done this week. And, and those are the weeks when, when you just bear down and, and, and you just do it. Those are the weeks when, when I'm probably not working eight thirty to five, I might be starting a little earlier. I, I might be pulling some, some evening shifts. I might be, you know, working on a Saturday, but, but that's okay because, um, because it's, it, it, it's my business. It's, um, you know, it's, I, I remember the, the many years I spent working in corporate America and, and there were certainly, you know, uh, weeks and months when I was, you know, putting in some long hours for, um, you know, for somebody else and, and 
nowadays when I have to, you know, have a really busy week or month or stretch or whatever it is, um, if, if I'm working really hard, I can always, you know, take solace in knowing that, hey, it's for me, it's for my business, it, it's not for anybody else. And, um, you know, this too shall pass. Uh, we'll get through the busy phase. Um, it'll settle back down again. And, and I'm just going to keep the nose to the grindstone until it does. Great attitude. I love it. <laughs> well, Don, thanks again. Man, I, again, I appreciate you coming, uh, coming on again uh, and, uh, and sharing this with us. Uh, just real quick, where can listeners learn more about you? Where can I send them? Sure. Uh, my website is donsadlerwriter.com. That's D-O-N-S-A-D-L-E-R, writer.com. And uh, enjoyed being on again, Ed. Been looking forward to this and uh, always enjoy talking to you. It's a lot of fun. Likewise, my friend. The High Income Business Writing Podcast is a production of B2B Business Launcher. Learn more at b2blauncher.com.